0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 46. This whole month we're going over Christmas, and so I thought what better thing to do than to read some scriptures about the story of Christmas. Last week we read how Uh, Mary was visited by an angel how she was pregnant, but she was a virgin remember we talked about what that meant (laughs) and then um, And so Mary gets appeared to by an angel and then she sings a song or she writes this poem It's 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 Mary's song is what it says And so I'm going to read this for you It's basically her praising God and I think it's really cool because as Protestants Sometimes I think we don't give Mary enough credit because the Catholic Church gives Mary tons of credit, and and we would disagree with the Catholic Church that would pray to Mary or would worship Mary. We don't do that. Um, But I think we we should have a strong appreciation for who Mary is. I mean, she's just as cool as Joseph or Moses or Abraham or all these other characters in the Bible. It's because she's a girl that sometimes we, we put her down. But she's cool, right? Aren't girls cool? Here's Mary's song, verse 46. And Mary said... This is written by, we think Mary was somewhere around the age of like 13 to 16 as she was she was pregnant with Jesus. And she's writing this. I think it's just amazing. Verse 52 says, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant Israel, remember, to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as He said to our fathers, And then it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Would you pray with us this morning? I'm going to ask Robin to come up and uh, pray. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful snow. We just pray that everyone would be able to get here safe and be able to get home safe. God, as we just talk about Christmas this month, we ask that... You would show us the true meaning of Christmas, among all the other reasons why we celebrate in the traditions. We thank you for the real meaning of Christmas. We thank you for Jesus and his birth, Lord. We pray that our soul would glorify you, God. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I thought we would talk about, uh, as, we're, as the subject is the real Christmas this month, we would talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> There's mixed feelings about Santa. We'll get to him. But I thought first, if this is your first time to the Mill Sunday School, I just want to welcome you here. Uh, this is kind of new for us as well. We have on these should be, every table should have one of these. If it's your first time here, uh, fill this out. We'll give you a CD. It, it, it is, by the way, the same thing we give out on Friday nights. So if you filled one of these out on Friday, you don't need to fill it out again. We just want to give you a gift and have your info. And, um, and yeah, because we're the Mill Sunday School, right? We're a bunch of nerds. I, I, we kind of joke about that, but uh, that's what we are. We like to go a little deeper in Sunday school. Well, it was fourth grade for me. I was on a bus coming home from Christmas break, and uh, it seems like in fourth grade when you're middle, in your elementary school, you have like a month off for Christmas, and so I'm on this ride home for a bus, on a bus ride home for the last day of school before Christmas break, and uh And some kids start talking to me about Santa Claus. And the bus ride home is like an hour long time. And this bus ride was going to be horrible because I was sitting next to this kid that was a kid that grew up and didn't learn about Santa as a kid. His parents were religious and uh, spiritual and Christians. And so they didn't teach this little kid about Santa Claus. My parents taught me all about Santa Claus. They were like, they thought it was the best thing in the world. So did I. And so I was talking to this kid, and I remember making fun of him because as a kid, I only had to go to church for an hour. I was raised Catholic, so I would talk about going to church for an hour. This kid had to go to church for three hours on Sunday. <laughs> and, so, and so we would talk about that, and I would make fun of him for that. But he thought it was his turn to make fun of me. And so he started telling me about Santa Claus and how it's, it's Santa d- isn't real. Did you all know that? Just making sure. <laughs> And so he starts telling me, he says, you know, Santa's not real. And then he starts to reason with me as a fourth grader and says, well, isn't it weird how, like, if your parents are rich, then you get a lot of toys from Santa, but if your parents are poor, you don't get a lot of toys? If Santa's real, wouldn't everybody get the same amount from Santa? And I was like, that's good. And then he's like, who do you think eats the milk and cookies? That's mommy and daddy that eat that stuff. Why do you think, and then do you think Santa really exists? And I was like, are you serious? Santa doesn't exist? And then he proceeded on my bus home. Uh, for some reason, there was uh, this was the way that the bus systems worked where I was from, that, that elementary students, middle school students, and high school students all rode together on the bus. So this kid proceeded to get some high schoolers and middle schoolers to come over and make fun of poor little Joe because I still believed in Santa Claus. <laughs> it is a true story. And then I I began... To get really mad at mom and dad. I'm like, why would they tell me this? Why would they tell me about Santa if he isn't true? Why would they lie to me? My parents had been lying to me my whole life about Santa. And I got really mad at them. And then that whole Christmas, I was thinking, well, I can't tell them that I know that. That, that santa isn't real because then maybe i won't get any presents <laughs> is what i was thinking in my head and so that whole christmas as my mom and dad would talk about santa it's like oh you excited to see santa i would be like oh yes yeah, <laughs> and so my parents finally pulled me aside and said you know that Santa's not real huh and i said yeah i was like why did you lie to me and, and they were like well we just thought it was fun didn't you think it was fun and i said yeah i thought it was fun i guess And then my big concern was, well, am I still going to get presents? And I said, of course, you're still going to get presents. And so it turned out to be okay. Um, But just out of curiosity, how many of you grew up believing in Santa Claus? Wow, that's a good number. How many of you did not grow up believing in Santa Claus? Is it about 50-50-ish maybe? All right, we'll talk about that. Um, I want to tell you about the real St. Nicholas. Do you want to hear about the real St. Nicholas? Santa is a figure that's, that's make-believe and fun, but there's a real dude in history named Nicholas, who we get kind of St. Nicholas from, and, uh, and we get Santa from. And so his name is Nicholas. Do you know what Nicholas means in uh, the Greek? Any Greek scholars? You know, you're not, you're, <laughs> it's, uh, it comes from the same root of Nike, like Nike shoes, do you know? I, I, Victoria, yeah, Victor, victorious is what Nicholas means. And so this dude, I'm going to write down the date in which he was born and then tell you something that will rock your mind. Um, uh, 288, whoops, I messed up the eights. <laughs> this is, how does that happen? Just up here struggling, everybody's laughing. Uh, let's see. All right, when when was Jesus born? Is so kind of like 1 A.D. maybe or 0 A.D.? I'm not sure how that works. Uh St. Nicholas is 288 A.D. And so what I want to tell you is that St. Nicholas was born, just in case you're wondering, he was born in Turkey, uh, which was pretty big in the the early Christian church, like Ephesus is there, Laodicea is in modern-day Turkey. Nicholas is born in Turkey, and there's a picture of Nicholas. He's, He's born to some parents that are Christians, that are very wealthy. And what I want to tell you may rock your mind, but Nicholas precedes Christmas. Nicholas precedes, comes before Christmas. Now, Nicholas doesn't obviously come before the birth of Jesus Christ. But did you know that Christmas is when we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Did you know that it's a, like a compound word, Christmas? Do you know what it means? Christ's Mass. Christ's Mass. What does the word Mass mean? Do you know? If you were, if you were Catholic, you would know that Mass just meant going to church and so I was confused as a kid. Did I tell you I was raised Catholic? I was raised Catholic, and and my parents always referred to it as going to church. And like, oh, did you? We went to church this morning. Everybody else I knew referred to it as going to mass. And so I was confused as a kid. It's like, well, you went to mass, but I saw you in church. How could you? <laughs> but it's the same thing. You know what? You know where the word mass comes from? Um, a priest. Did you know that the Catholic Church up until pretty recently, like the 1960s, 1970s. Before that time, all throughout the Middle Ages and, and history in the Catholic Church, they did their services in what language? Yeah, all in Latin. You, does anybody speak Latin? Nobody. And so the, the Catholic Church, well, you would go to church and it would all be in Latin. And so there would, you would just be sitting there going, This is good. <laughs> this is real good. But you didn't understand what was going on because they believed that it was a holy language. And so the last thing a priest would say before dismissing, in fact, his words of dismissal um, were, uh, let's see, Le Mista S, go be dismissed, is the last words of the Catholic Church, of the, of the Mass, of the church service. And so you would leave and you'd kind of be like half sleeping the whole time because you, you don't speak Latin, it's just in another language. You're just kind of sitting there going, this is good. And then, uh, and then the priest says "le mister s," and that kind of became slang for mass. The pr- last thing a priest said would be mass. That's what you'd hear, kind of the slang. How it worked in, so you'd leave there and go out to lunch at Burger King and say, "Man, yeah, we were all at mass together." That's what we heard last. The word mass. So that's how. That's where that word comes from. So Christ's mass, the the day that we celebrate Christ's service, uh, becomes December twenty fifth, and the first year that 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 that, that that happens is not until three fifty four a d early Christians celebrated christ 's resurrection they celebrated Easter right since the very beginning of the Christian church but it wasn 't until three fifty four that we started celebrating christ 's birth and we talked about last time this was more last week 's conversation that the reason why we chose december twenty fifth is because it was already a holiday for the pagan ritual of of worshiping saturn who is the god of agriculture because december is like the the uh darkest de- de- december 25th is the winter solstice the darkest day of the year i mean think about it like we came out of walmart yesterday and it was six o'clock and it was pitch black And i'm like what the what time is how long were we in walmart what's going on <laughs> and so at the, at the very darkest stage of the year people would worship the agricultural god to kind of bring spring back is the idea. And so the Christians started worshiping Jesus on that day because there was already a festival. We talked about that last week. Are you okay with that, though? Did you know that? That might be surprising to some of you. But that's the first time that we celebrate Christmas. And by the way, just for a fun fact that you would like to know and tell, um, have you ever heard it abbreviated Xmas? Like if you're sending somebody a text message, you don't want to write out Christmas, you just put Xmas. Some people might think that that is... Uh, irrel- irreligious what is it irreverent <laughs> that it's irreverent because you're changing the name of jesus to just an x but did you know the greek scholars that the way you spell christ in greek is an a- a chi, Uh christos let's see uh christos that's the greek word for christ and so this looks a lot like a what An X, and so that's where we kind of get—we say Xmas because the X. So you can say if someone, if you're like texting someone and you say Xmas, and they say you're so irreverent (laughs) because you just changed the place of Christ for an X. You could say no, it's because I'm really a nerd and I know that in the Greek it's spelled Christos with a chi, and that chi looks like an X. And so then you could be really smart. But let's get back to Saint Nicholas, shall we? St. Nicholas, there he is on the board there. Um, He's a little boy born to very wealthy Christian parents. His parents die, and and both of them die tragically, and he is left with a ton of cash. He's an orphan. He's got tons. He's got an inheritance from his family, and he's raised by priests or monks in a uh, monkery, what's it called? Monastery. Why am I struggling this morning? Man, it's because it's cold out or something. More coffee. That's a good idea, actually. All right. Um, so he, he's raised in a monkery. <laughs> and uh, priests, obviously, take uh, and monks take a vow of poverty. He's living in a p- very poor area, and yet he is stinking wealthy as a little kid. And he wants to help others because he's a Christian himself, and he wants to help others. And so he begins to try to give some of his money away to people that are in need. However, he has a hard time doing it. I mean, imagine yourself sitting in here in Sunday school. Let's say afterwards, you start talking about your car. And you're like, oh, my car broke down. Uh, it's, it stinks because I'm going to have to fix it, and I don't have the money to fix it, and it's, it's just going to be horrible. I'm going to have to go in debt, blah, blah, blah. And then this little kid outside, maybe 10 years old, overhears you saying that. So he goes to the ATM, pulls out 1000 bucks, and then comes back in and says, here's 1000 bucks for your car, mister. <laughs> and you're like, "Uh, What? Who are you? Where's your parents? I can't accept $1,000 from a kid. He's like, I'm an orphan. I'm like, I can't accept $1,000 from an orphan. And so he had a hard time giving away his, his wealth. And uh, the story is, is that he, he knew a man named Shim who was a fisherman uh, around the coast, coastal region of Turkey. And Shim was very poor. He lost his wife. And, and Shim was a fisherman, had three daughters that were all about marrying age. And the story is, well, the tradition at least in ancient Turkey is that, uh, and in fact, a lot of cultures still today have a system of a dowry. You know what a dowry is? A dowry is an amount of money paid from the bride's family to the groom's family and the groom so that they can start their marriage. It's just the way they used to do it back then. And you, so a girl couldn't get married without a dowry. And marriages back then didn't, didn't, they weren't, didn't revolve around dating. They revolved more around um, arranging a marriage. And so these three little girls might not get married because they, their father didn't have any money for the dowry. And so what is Shem to do? And now ba- back in this culture, I should also say that it was kind of custom that you should, a dowry would be a whole bunch of money and, and like maybe a year's wage would go into one dowry for one of the daughters. So that's three years wages for all three little girls and uh, not little girls, girls of marrying age. Um, and so I looked up some figures and found that in Colorado Springs, the average family household income for a year is like $53,000. So imagine $53,000 times three for these three little girls. Does anybody have 150 something thou cash <laughs> laying around? Who does? No one does. Shim would have had to have been started saving for, for these girls when, he, when they were just little babies, but he didn't. He didn't have enough money for the girls to get married. And in this culture, uh, very different than our culture, women... Could not get married. Um, excuse me. Women could not work out in the in the workplace. I guess um, it just it was just very different than it is today. And so, if a woman couldn't work and didn't have a husband, what are they to do? Well, they would either be homeless and poverty stricken, possibly have to be become prostitutes. And S- Nicholas ends up helping them. Did you know that Saint Nicholas, uh, in the Catholic version of calling him a saint, is the patron patron saint of both fishermen and prostitutes for this reason. Did you know that? And children, because he's nice to kids too. Um, uh, And so the story goes is that Nicholas wanted to give this money to Shem, three years' wages to Shem, and the amount was 12 silver coins, three, no, four coins per daughter, three daughters times four coins is 12, right? (laughs) Yeah. He thinks to himself, I can't just give it to Shem because Shem will think I'm crazy and won't accept the gift because he's just a kid. And then he thinks to himself, well, maybe I'll leave it on the doorstep of Shem's house so that in the morning when Shem comes out, all this money will be here and booyah, the girls get married happily ever after. But then he thinks to himself, that's a ton of money to leave on somebody's doorstep. What if it gets stolen, right? That's just a silly thing to do. So he doesn't leave it on the doorstep. Then he thinks, I'll go inside the house of Shem and then leave it for Shem right inside the door. But then he thinks to himself, what if Shim gets the money, and he's a nice guy and all, but what if he uh, spends the money on a, on a fishing boat to, to provide for his family if he doesn't know that that money's for his daughters? So then he thinks, I've got to give this money to the daughters directly. So his plan is, is to sneak in the house through a window into the daughter's room and give it to the daughters secretly as they're sleeping. Sound like a good idea? <laughs> yeah, probably not, because in those days you didn't have police and like 911. And so if you caught a burglar in your house especially a burger that's a male in your daughter's room, what would you do? <laughs> yeah, you could probably kill him, especially if he's just like a 12-year-old boy. Um, no big deal. So it kind of ups the ante for Shim. So in the middle of the night, he sneaks in to the daughter's room through the window and leaves the coins. And he didn't just leave them in a pile because then maybe just one daughter would get all the coins, not knowing that it was for the other daughters as well. And so he thinks, I'll put it in their coats I'll put it in their coats, these, these three, four coins each. Man, I stink with the math. Four coins each into their coats. But then he thinks, what if they're wearing their coats and the money slips out? I mean, it's like 50 grand. That's a year's wage. Can't do that. So what does he do? He puts it in their socks. Their socks are hanging up. Their, their hot stockings are hanging up over a fire. So as tradition says, he puts the money into their socks, and that is the story of St. Nicholas. And so, can't you imagine that these little girls—not uh, little girls, girls that are probably—I mean, they're probably were little. They're, they're in this culture; they, they would get very married very early, like at the age of fourteen or sixteen. And so, the, each of girl gets to get married, and the story of the secret gift giver begins to spread. And as Nicholas gets older, he becomes a priest. Then he becomes a bishop of a city called Myra, which is in Turkey. And so, he is a bishop is like the head person over all the churches in that city. And so he obviously is a man of lots of influence. And you know what? He doesn't give up the secret gift giving in the middle of the night, finding poor people, finding out who needs money, and going and giving them gifts anonymously. Isn't that a cool story? That's the real St. Nicholas. A hand clap for St. Nick. (laughs) Well, uh, I think our culture... uh, the only secret kind of thing that we do to each other in the middle of the night uh, kind of anonymously is pranking each other <laughs> right And pranks are cool for about five minutes until so you have to clean up the mess that that was made by the prankers um, and so we, let me tell you a story about uh, when we went to Nepal I was a we, we took a team to Nepal there was 15 of us I think it was like three summers ago. Um, Nate Doney was there who else was there anybody else was there? Um we went to Nepal it was a trekking mission trip where we were trekking like 15 miles per day and this isn't just a walk in the park we had big backpacks on full of bibles we were kind of delivering bibles and uh big backpacks on for all of our stuff and it's not just a walk in the park do you know where Nepal is it's smack dab in the middle of the Himalayan mountains that's where mount everest is and so at one point we were at 18,000 feet and if you know anything about altitude you know that the highest you can get around here is like 14,000 feet that's where we started And we were hiking around, and we got up to 18,000 feet. We were just exhausted after a two-week mission trip. Can't you imagine it? We're exhausted. Every night is just brutal. And so what we decided to do before the trip even started, we had a secret angel. That's just what we called it. And so we put all our names into a bowl, and then we picked each other's names out. And then that person that you got the name of would be your secret angel for the entire trip. And so every day or every other day, you would do something nice, secretively, anonymous, for this person, and so and so, like after a whole day of hiking, you take a shower, um, go get something to eat. The food wasn't very good. The shower was like a pit of grossness, and uh, you come back to your room, and maybe your secret angel had left you a Snicker bar and a Coke, and you're like, yes, it just kind of makes your day. Or maybe they would give you a note about how 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 good you are and how well you did that day, or just or some verses or something cool like that. And it was just like the secret thing of helping each other, encouraging each other throughout this mission trip that just helped so much. And so I can imagine if after hiking 15 miles that day and your back's just like, oh, gosh, it kills, and your head's pounding because of the altitude, and you take a dirty shower and you eat some weird tuna pizza thing, (laughs) and you go back to your room and someone had pranked you if the pillow was gone and there was goop on your sleeping bag. I mean, that could have been the straw that broke the camel's back and it, it would have been horrible. And so this this idea of secret gift-giving is just so cool. I think it's why it's made its, its life into the Christmas story. Because if you give something to someone anonymously, can they thank you? Can you get any of the credit? No, it's just a cool way of giving somebody something in secret. And so um, let's talk a little bit about Santa. How does this idea flow into Santa. How does St. Nicholas become Santa? Have you ever thought that? I, I sit around all the time thinking about those things. Um, St. Nicholas uh, in in the Dutch is Sinterklaas. And so as a mispronunciation into English, Sinterklaas becomes Santa Claus. And so that's where we get the idea. That's where we get the name of Santa. And the evolution of this figure who is somewhat controversial in the Christian realm, is so interesting. I mean, he comes from St. Nicholas, but then there's some other characters that kind of add to the Santa Claus story. And then the, it just keeps on changing. Like the story of Santa Claus keeps getting added to and changing a little bit. And it's so cool. Um, so originally, St. Nicholas is kind of the, the mojo behind Santa Claus today. But there was also a dude named Chris Kringle in history in the Middle Ages, Martin Luther, have you heard of him? Martin Luther invents Kris Kringle because the Catholic, you know the Protestant Reformation is when the Protestants protested against the Catholic or the universal church. And one of the things that they were protesting was kind of the materialism and uh, just the bad mojo that goes along with Christmas. I mean, think about it. Even way back then, that was the case. And so Martin Luther, the main Protestant reformer of our Protestant church today, um, Instead of St. Nicholas said, let's have another dude named Kris Kringle, in German, the Christ kid. And so this fairy-like baby Jesus (laughs) would come to your house and either do good things for you or bad things to you if you were good or bad. And so that's where we get Kris Kringle. It means Christ child in German. And so that kind of plays a role into who Santa Claus is. Another dude, this is kind of the darker part of where Santa comes from, is a guy, a god, a demigod kind of thing, named Olin, who is the god of, uh, I don't even know what he's the god of, but have you ever heard of Yule? The celebration, like if you, Yule Yuletide or something like that, is kind of saying good luck. The celebration of Yule, or burning a Yule log, is a northern European kind of tradition that goes along with the being at the darkest day of the year, that they would bring evergreens into their house, and have a kind of a party, or a festival in their house, in their homes, and during the darkest, scariest time of the year when the sun goes down at like four thirty, and you come out of walmart and you don't even know what day it is um it's just scary um and so they had this big feast and and cows or cattle or any animal that probably wouldn't last the rest of the the rest of the year uh and you couldn't afford to feed them throughout the long winter you would slaughter them and have a big feast and have your bacon and 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 have a big feast during uh yule and so olin is this dark, mysterious kind of God that flies around in a sleigh. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Uh, He's this God of Yule that would either do good things to your house, fly over and do good things, or if you were kind of a bad family, he would fly over and do bad things to your house. Kind of sounds like St. Nick a little bit, right? Kind of sounds like Santa Claus. And so those are two, two things in which we get Santa Claus from. But it's really not until 1822 that Santa Claus truly gets his persona of who he is today. Because Santa Claus is not really St. Nicholas. And Santa Claus is not Kris Kringle in the old way of if thinking about Kris Kringle. And Santa Claus is not this Olin character. In 1822, that's really not that long ago, right? The t- 1822, that's not that long ago, right? 1822, this dude named uh, Clement Clark Moore, an Episcopal... Minister writes a poem for his kids. It was just a fun little poem for his kids. Do you know what this poem is? Twas the night before Christmas. Let me read for you some of the lyrics of this poem. And so this is made up, just totally made up by this Episcopal minister just for his kids. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. And this is, I don't understand what this means, but the children were all nestled all snug in their beds with visions of sugar plums (laughs) danced in their heads. That sounds like a nightmare. I don't even know what a sugar plum is. (laughs) Whatever. And then the poem, it's it's quite a long poem, but then it goes on to say that a miniature sled and eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment that it must be St. Nick more rapid than eagles, his coursers came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. You know where he gets the names of the reindeer? You know where he gets this whole idea of reindeer pulling the sleigh? He made it up. You know where he gets the idea of the names of the reindeer? He made it up just for his kids, just for this poem. On oh, now on Dasher, Prancer, and Vixen, on Cupid and Comet and Donner and Blitzen, and then the end of the poem it says, But I heard him explain. Exc- exclaim as he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. And so that's just a poem for his kids that he wrote that kind of gets, that this poem just begins, it gets published, and then becomes popular, and people are like, oh, let's teach our kids about Santa, let's teach him about, let's teach our kids that Santa has reindeer, and that they have names, and then of course, the other reindeer that's newer to the block, do you know his name? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Do you know the song? <laughs> of course you do. There was a guy named Robert May, and this is really not that long ago. This is, I guess, our our grandparents' uh, lifetime, maybe our parents' childhood. I guess if your parents are really old. Um, 1939. There's this dude named Robert May who is kind of an intern for a big company at the time. There he is. Isn't he precious? Um, uh, uh, 1939. There's an intern for Montgomery Ward's. Have you heard of that store? Is really big in the in the early 1900s, and so uh, he's he's an intern for Montgomery Ward's. Becomes hired on to write a uh, children's coloring book for Christmas every year. Montgomery Ward would come out with a new Christmas coloring book. He developed and and made out of his own imagination and his own fun a character named Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And he put it in this coloring book. The coloring book that year sold 2.4 million copies. Kids just loved it. A song was written um, about, about Rudolph, which you all know. And then in 1964, this weird little clay stop animo- animation movie came out, which is just freaky. I mean, have you ever watched it? You're like, this character scare you to death. They're just like, arr, arr, arr. Um, And so Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that's where we get Rudolph from. It's just out of somebody's imagination as they begin to to teach their kids about Santa and making it more and more exciting. They add little details. In fact, these details are still coming. Um, I mean, think about it. There's just things that maybe you will do as a family, whether it has anything to do with Santa or not, that that you'll do around Christmas time that will begin to catch on and then it will become this tradition that your family does and maybe some other families do. And Christmas and its stories and Santa Claus especially will just continue to evolve into something else someday. Think about it. Here's what I want you to do. Um, How many of you believed in Santa Claus as a kid? Raise your hands again. (laughs) I want you to discuss at your tables. Here's what I want you to discuss. Discuss whether or not you are going to teach your kids about Santa Claus. Why or why not? Are you ready to discuss that? Make it kind of quick, just maybe like three minutes. Ready, get set, go. Let's talk about Santa real quick. Uh, Let's hear, if you're bold enough to kind of stand up for your table, let's hear some arguments on the Christian side of things that, that you don't think you're going to teach your kids about Santa because of whatever reason. And by the way, there is an argument i think there's a there's a legitimate argument on either side i don't really like santa i don't think i'll teach our kids about santa but my wife erica she likes santa claus and so when we have kids and they become the age of learning about santa who will have marital strife maybe who knows we'll have to figure that out um we just joke about it now but it'll be a serious serious issue uh when the kids are old enough (laughs) Uh, okay, well, is anyone bold enough to stand up and give an argument against Santa Claus? Mr. Nate Doney? <laughs> said, I'll repeat it for everyone. Is that uh, He said going to visit Santa costs like $20 to get your picture taken with Santa. So if you have like five kids, that's like a lot of money. Um, oh, I heard it said, one we'll, we'll, get, we'll hear another couple arguments, but someone was saying, um, where did I, I think I just heard it on the internet. I was doing some research. Someone said that Santa Claus is truly, because the poem comes from an American, because Rudolph comes from an American, Montgomery words, that Santa is truly an American saint. Like there's no other, it's truly our saint as the United States. We don't really have any other saints besides, the only person that it seems like they would come close would be uh, St. Patrick. Have you heard of him? Uh, we just kind of celebrate his day. But that's just for a day. Santa really takes on the whole month of Christmas. And someone said, in our materialistic, capitalistic world, isn't it so appropriate that our saint would be in a department store that if you want to go visit the image <laughs> of the saint that he would be in a department store how convenient and and that's just a uh, it's just kind of i mean our our culture is very capitalistic and materialistic and so I, I mean in all honesty how appropriate that our saint would kind of be the saint over materialism and capitalism and <laughs> You know, it's kind of sinister. I know, I know. Um, another, maybe two more arguments against Santa Claus. Is anyone bold enough? Mr. Joel? I would say, you know- That's a good, yeah. But what else have they lied about? You lied about Santa, like the Easter bunny? He's still real, at least, right? <laughs> but what else have they, in a more serious matter, what else, if they, if, they, if they go to church every Sunday, is this also a make-believe world, like Santa, is what you're saying? Yes. Andrew, do you have something? I won't do it because I don't want any future children to go through. The, the hell I went through <laughs> as a fourth grader on the bus. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. I did turn out OK in the end, but that, that fourth grade year was, I got an F in one of my classes. And then I think it was related to the Santa Claus thing. I mean, um, does anybody else want to say something anti-Santa? Anti-Santa? Yes, Mr. Joe Potts. Well, this is against Sa- OK, OK, OK. OK, I'll hear you. I'll hear you. OK. Inform of Saint Nick. OK because you wouldn't want to take away from Jesus around at Christmas time. Very good. Well, I wish Santa was here to defend himself. I said I wish Santa was here to defend himself. <laughs> this is the real Santa, yes. Uh. Forgot the the he forgot the cookies. It's okay, though. Oh, oh, oh.
1: <laughs>
0: all right. All right. <laughs> so you're Santa. Yes, I am. And and you, you do sleep. good things for kids. Yes, I do. I do plenty of good things for kids. I make them happy. I give them presents under the tree. You make them happy, give them presents, and just add to the Christmas season. Yes, yes. Add to the giving part, the giving side, right? Yes. You're a good guy, right? Yes, I'm a Christian. He's a Christian. I've heard it said that the word Santa and Satan are very similar. Have you heard that before? What do you think? I'm Satan? He's not Satan? What? He's Santa Claus. No no. Christmas is just it's a tradition. You know, I'm Santa Claus. I'm a tradition. But I think you need to make sure that you uh, tell your kids the real reason behind Christmas. And that's Jesus Christ. But then you got to have fun, you know. And you make sure that they understand that there's a real reason behind Christmas. Thank you, Santa. Thank you. That was the real Santa Claus. You could tell your kids. Uh, gonna find out <laughs> who is naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming. To oh, gosh. Uh, so the argument for Santa, I think, would just be, the, the argument that Erica likes is that it's fun if you could do the Santa thing without taking away from the true meaning of Christmas, and maybe even use Santa to add to the excitement of the gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ, then um i don 't know I think there's there's how many of you are bold enough to say i 'm going to teach my kids about Santa, yes, a few of you. <laughs> um i think i think there's there's ways to go about doing it i talked to brady boyd uh who's our senior pastor and aaron stern and they have kind of a similar thing that they do around christmas brady does uh aaron will when his kids are a little bit older and uh what they both do is they teach their kids the story of the real saint nicholas and then um they kind of joke about santa and say that santa is coming but all the kids really know that that's just a a fun thing to talk about that Santa's not really real; that he's make believe, but it's just a fun thing to to talk about and to say, oh, Santa Claus is coming." But the kids know that there's really no Santa, um, and uh, and that's just kind of how they go about it. I think the bigger the bigger point is is that if Santa becomes a place in your family celebration that takes away from San, from Jesus, if Santa takes away from Jesus, then what I think you're doing, isn't isn't a good thing. But if somehow Santa could be thrown into the mix and add to the excitement, add to the story of Jesus in some weird, twisted way, <laughs> then I think Santa is a great thing. And so I think that's kind of the main point about Santa is that um, I don't think he's Satan. I mean, some some Christians are so anti-Satan. <laughs> my, my poor kids. Uh, some, some Christians are so anti-Santa that they would call him Satan um, because Santa is such an, the epitome of materialism and everything Christmas is not supposed to be about. But I think, I think honoring, honoring the tradition of Santa, because it's truly an American saint, and honoring it is at some place in your family, maybe there's a place for it. I don't know. Do you kind of get the bigger picture there? Here's the bigger of the bigger of the bigger picture. It seems to me that and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see that, that what St. Nicholas did, the real, the real Nicholas did, was to give gifts anonymously in such a way that he could not be thanked. He could not get the attention for giving such a big gift. And so in the same way that Nicholas gives gifts secretively, I think that is the way that Jesus came to this world. It's almost as if Jesus... A gift from God, God himself, is given to the world anonymously. And let, let, me, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, that Jesus Jesus came into this world being born not... I mean, we often have this image of the nativity set that is... That, that's a precious moments nativity set. I'm sure all your grandmothers have that in, in your house. Um, and it's this, this image of everything's clean and nice, and the barn looks like this nice little thing. And the manger is where Jesus is, is laid. And it's so precious. It's precious moments. There's little angels flying about. But the real Christmas, when Jesus was born, he was born in a barn, ladies and gentlemen. Babies aren't supposed to be born in barns. Babies are, I mean, nowadays, babies are born with doctors in hospitals, in sanitary environments. If you have, you've been to a barn, and it, it, it's dirty, and it smells like poop. And and giving birth to a baby in a barn. I mean, not to paint a a horrible image for you, but pregnancy—the the the baby giving birth to a baby is a bloody, messy thing that that shouldn't be done in a barn. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how our God comes. He—that's how He came into this world, almost unanonymous. That that this that this barn didn't even have an address. That his it doesn't say anything about his his parents and or excuse me his his family being around like as far as this extended family um, like where's grandma and grandpa where's all the cousins when this when when Jesus is born it doesn't say that they're a part of the story it says that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem and she was ridiculously pregnant about to have a baby and no one would give them a place to stay they had to go to a barn I mean do you see the image there the image of Joseph trying to take care of his family and and providing for his family maybe thinking to himself this is me providing for my family my poor wife having to give birth to a child in a barn uh, out of all places with animals and and just the the mess that the horrible the stench and the that's that's him providing for his family he coming Jesus God himself coming into this world almost un. Anonymously, that that people you would have to seek him out. And there's the story that we'll read next next week of the shepherds seeing an angel and the angel saying, "Find this boy that's been wrapped and put into a manger." And so they go and they find him in a manger. This is our God coming to this world, almost unanonymous. Do you see it? It's it's an image that that's kind of surprising. Did you know that the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back a second time, that Jesus is returning. Did you know that in that returning, when Jesus comes a second time, it's talked about that there will be trumpets and the earth will shake and he'll come in clouds and a big horse and swords and lights and brilliance. And wow, that is not an anonymous gift. That is Jesus coming to rule for the second time. Did you know that? But this first coming is almost an, an anonymous gift being given to the world. And yet it's the greatest gift the world has ever known there's a song that we sing around christmas time that's really not a christmas song it's a song written by isaiah isaac watts in 1719 it's a song that we always just think of that's a christmas song but it really wasn't written as a christmas song it's a song about jesus second coming because his first coming jesus in a manger did not shake the earth it did, not, it did not fit a lot of these words. And so it is a Christmas song because spiritually these things happened as Jesus was born in that manger. But they'll happen again in the second coming for real. Like this song says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let their songs employ. And then it says, while fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains, those things, the, plain, the earth repeats the sounding joy. That didn't happen at the first coming. That'll happen in the second coming. And then it says, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Then the whole earth changes. He comes to make his blessings uh, known as far as the curse is found. And he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Christmas song because it spiritually happened with the birth of Jesus. And when we let him into our heart, he becomes our king in the spiritual and maybe in the the physical sense that our lives are devoted to our heavenly king. But he's also coming back. He's coming back a second time. And that's what this song is about. Can you pray with me this morning as we recognize that? God, we realize that you were that child being born in the manger, that Jesus had the full divinity of God, that Jesus, we can pray to you right now because you are God, and we recognize that. We recognize that you came into this world by humble means so that we who are are not famous, we who are not just... Rich, we who are not, uh, we we can be rich in spirit. We can be rich in our hearts for you, Jesus. When we let you into our lives, and so God, this Christmas season, as Christmas is just a few weeks away, we invite you into our hearts. God, would you let your light shine out of our lives to glorify you, that people might know you better by knowing us, because you are inside of us. And God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, that, that seemingly anonymous gift that came into this world, that people have to seek him out to know who Jesus is, to know that you, Jesus, are God. Now, we praise you that, that that truth and that knowledge is known to us. And we honor you and we give you all praise this morning, Jesus. We love you and we honor you with our lives. And everybody said, Amen.